Hello, my name is Tate Cornell, and I'm from Washington, and my parents won't let me listen to I Doubt It With Dolomore because he f***ing cusses too much. <laughs> the following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 649 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, the punctual, Brittany Page, everybody. I just want to say that the question that you asked me, that you mouthed to me before we started here was, did I breathe? Yeah, That's did- how much control is exerted in this room when we're recording. Did I breathe? No. The reason is, is because we live in an area where planes fly overhead. Uh-huh. And when 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 a plane flies overhead right when we're starting the show. Oh, the sound signature, nah. Uh yeah. <laughs> it's perfect timing. So yeah. I put my fist up like 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 a Alert. black like a black power symbol mm-hmm. as kind of a hey, everybody be quiet. Everybody, including Popeye. Yeah, he he gets it too. Yeah, because that's a perfect perfect moment for me to use that to 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 create a sound signature to remove noise from the recording, including my breathing. And so I'm watching the screen. Yeah, and I see I don't hear it. Yeah, but I see. <sighs> oh please! This 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 sound on the waveform. Yeah. of you mm-hmm. huffing and puffing over there, right? Like you're fucking trying to blow down the house. You mean just engaging in the involuntarily bo- involuntary bodily functions that I have? Yeah. Thank no, you. no, it's beyond that because I could see it on the goddamn screen. You didn't hear it though, so that's one thing. Um, that is one thing. You're right. Yeah, that's I, one thing. So I tried something that I've never tried before. Oh, this could be. This could be good. And I'm pretty excited about it. So I tried a vegan burger. Oh, I think a lot of people are very disappointed all over the world right now. Yeah. That that's what it was. Well, I think a lot of people will be just filled with joy to learn that that's pretty, what it was. Very experimental. Yeah. Tried a vegan burger. Yes. It, actually, I was there too. Yeah. That, it, was, I, it wasn't your first vegan burger, it though. It was not, no. Yeah, and I've, I've had the Impossible Burger before, yeah. which is a brand name of, of a certain vegan product. Mm-hmm. And then I think I've also had Beyond Meat, Beyond, a Beyond Burger. Yeah, I had someone tell me today that Beyond was their favorite one. Uh, I think Impossible so far is mine. Even okay. over what we had the other ni- day at that place called Nice Guys. Yes, yeah, so there's a f- new fast food restaurant around here called Nice Guys, and it's 100% vegan. And Even uh, their cups are fucking vegan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the worst cups in the world for soda. Yeah, you put your soda in, and then you try to carry it away, and it like folds in half, and yeah. you spill your soda it's everywhere. That's exactly right. It's, all, it's like they gave me a paper towel yeah. to pour my soda in. It wasn't a great situation, <laughs> but it's really good for the environment. So I... Was hesitant to try the vegan burger because like 15 years ago, I had a garden burger and it was disgusting and I was just turned off of the concept <laughs> yeah. completely. Yeah, Are garden yeah. burgers still a thing? Is That's like a brand, right? 
Like Morning Star, I think is the brand. I think I don't know a ton about vegan vegetarian food, but anyway, it was horrifying 15 years ago, <laughs> and like one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. It and does not take much to horrify Brittany Page, apparently. Sure, and it was. I mean, it was just that bad. You don't even need to place a I judgment mean, on me. Place a judgment on the veggie burger. War crimes, <laughs> human rights abuses at the border, veggie burger. There's a lot, of, a lot of different things can be horrifying. <laughs> so I was skeptical going in. So I want everyone to know kind of where I'm coming from here, because what I'm about to say, I think is shocking from someone who felt the way that I did, that was yeah. so skeptical about the concept. But this burger was delicious. Real, real good. If all meat tasted like that, I wouldn't even miss meat. I, mean, I would not miss it. Looking um, beyond the fact that it was twice the cost of a normal combo meal at a burger place, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, it's definitely cost prohibitive for, yeah. for I mean, that's not something that I'm going to eat regularly. <laughs> like it was $14 for a combo, I think. Yeah. Some fries, which were good. Yeah. And then the burger, which is not bigger. It's a normal size. Right. And then the soda. Yes. So but, definitely expensive. But. Mm-hmm. Once I think there, the, the more competition comes into the market, the cost will come down because one, it, just the laws of supply and demand, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but it was I, that was really good too. Yeah, so I'm excited. I want to try the different kinds now. I'm all like excited, ready to go, do some more experimentation. You know, it does say something about you though, because a lot of times with food. You get something in your head. It, it shows that you're open minded enough to really give it a fair shake. Because if you're going in skeptical, sometimes, you know, somebody who doesn't like mushrooms or doesn't like beans, you know, these nutty people, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, they won't even give it a chance. They yeah. don't like the texture of something. They just, nope, fuck no, I'm not going to give it a, a chance. Well, and I'm not, I'm not a picky eater. I'm just not. So yeah, it, am I. it's a weird thing that I was like not, not trying. You know, I, I wasn't doing it intentionally, I guess. I just... I was kind of hesitant to pay the higher price for it and all that. But I think that it's it's going to be the way of the future. And, yeah. and it really is important that we cut back on our meat consumption, primarily for the environment, right? But also moral reasons. I mean, yeah, sure. in a few decades here, we're going to look back on eating meat and you know we're looking at we'll look at ourselves as barbarians yeah i mean it's going to be you know for me, a lot of people it already is considered let me horrific. speak to the the picky eater thing okay i used to i've never been a picky eater either and i used to ascribe that characteristic because i grew up poor uh -huh. and we weren't allowed to be picky <laughs> but 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 i knew tons of kids who were in the same ses the same socioeconomic status as us growing up who were picky as fuck. I used to be a picky eater for sure. Oh, you used to be? Oh, yeah. Like, there was one thing or two things that I didn't like, mm -hmm. but didn't really... I mean, I have the story about eating, eating pickled beets at Thanksgiving yeah, and not being able to get up from the fucking little kid's table mm -hmm. for hours 
and hours after Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Because I was forced to sit there like a fucking, like a prisoner. Yeah. And eat it. My parents tried to pull that too. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what happened there was, is I went into performance art and. Oh, you fell asleep. I pretended to be asleep <laughs> and I'd be like snoring and like, wee, 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 wee. You know, they, you, they had to have known you were bullshitting. <laughs> Too tired to eat. What are you going to do? Got to go to bed. Don't want to eat that zucchini. Didn't you also. Poor kid mania over here. Didn't you used to also like, like, uh, store apple skins in your <laughs> cheek like a maniac? Oh God, yeah. I would chew the apple and store all of the skin, the apple skin, in my cheeks, and then say, "Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom," and then go and spit out all of the apple peel. So either your parents were just not fucking they're aloof as fuck not paying attention mm -hmm. or they knew and they're just like eh, let her do what she's gonna do she's a nut <laughs> yeah well you know it's 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 nice having some of these stories where i get to share and feel like i had uh normal parenting experiences it's nice right you know, not every moment was a hashtag raised by wolf not saying. every moment correct yeah well, there good. was there were some there were some light moments, some fun moments. So uh, are we taking recommendations from the audience on where we can find a good uh, vegan burg? Absolutely. I, I also, I'm interested to start eating less meat generally. So if people have like favorite recipes that they do that don't have meat in them, things like that. I would dig that. Yeah. Send them on over. I'm, I'm totally interested in that we've talked about kind of doing like a, a meatless monday thing or well they say they environmentalist types say that i mean people who are dedicated to that particular uh, issue say that even if you were to cut out meat one or two days a week if everybody did that it would have a tremendous impact on the environment so it is something i want to try i would even like to try to switch over to like a vegan existence over time but the problem with me in that is in the kitchen, that takes a whole different set of skills, a whole set of kitchen techniques and cooking techniques that I'm, I barely got going what I got going on now. Mm -hmm. I would have to, that's a learning curve I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's good. It's a good thing to explore. It's a good thing to talk about. And I know that there's people listening to this and we've gotten emails from people before. I think you have as well, Jesse, specifically to you, like surprised that you talk about what you talk about politically, but then you eat meat. And yeah, for sure. It's yeah. You know, it's it's tough to argue with. It, well, it's, I, I, I don't want to throw this term around flippantly, but, you know, you, you get addicted to what you're what you eat and. Um, I am not quite that Zen or, or open-minded or enlightened yet that I can just turn off the, the meat spigot as it were. Well, I even felt after I had the vegan burger, like I didn't feel full. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I think that was all in my head. I don't think that that's actually true. You know, I'm like, huh. oh, I'm just eating nothing but vegetables here. Not filling up, you know? <laughs> um, so need to work on that a bit, I yeah. think. But again, we'd love recommendations. Yes. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So this is kind of old news at this point, but it was it caused quite the stir, right? Ricky Gervais at, uh, the, yeah. at the Golden Globes. It's weird. He's being used as like, a, I'm probably jumping the gun here big time, but I just saw 
some conservative outlet like uh daily caller daily caller yeah mm-hmm. it was fucking uh, ben shapiro's outfit yeah he's getting a lot of praise from the right for his comments and he's seconds away from being like a fucking dave rubin what's weird i don't okay there's a lot here and <laughs> i i I used to love Ricky Gervais. So did I. And there's like old columns that he wrote for the Huffington Post that I really loved in particular, where he talked about growing up just a very like naturally smart kid and talking about like how you're born with certain abilities and how that's nothing to be proud of. It's like what you choose to do with them. Like, I just always thought he had good ideas about things. And I really love his show on Netflix, I think, Afterlife. I think that was really well done. I really enjoyed that show. Yeah, season two is coming out. It is a good show. Yeah, really moving and really meaningful. But (laughs) I, so many people that I am connected to personally who are leftists were very impressed by his comedy bit that he did. And do you mean liberal or do you mean leftist? Um, people on the left. Okay. I mean, I don't is what is leftist mean? Is that not people on the left? To me, somebody who's a leftist would be, uh, you know, somebody like Dan Errol, atheist, you know, very democratic socialist, Slash maybe even communist guy. Okay, yeah, I'm using it to indicate people on the left because okay. it's a it's a variety of different types. Of yeah, for sure. Well, that's why I wanted to pin down on that. Yeah, and so you don't mean that great that specific type of 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 far. You mean just people on the left. Well, I mean people that have social justice leanings. Huh, okay. Also, okay. yeah, that thought some of the work that he did during the Golden Globes was funny because he shit on rich people, the rich mm-hmm. people in the room. Of which he is one. He, he for sure is one. And it just reminded me of the whole backlash against Ellen, where people on the left were saying, she's just another one of the rich people. Why are you surprised that she she has more in common with George W. Bush than this, she does anyone else yeah, because yeah. she has money? And somehow that doesn't apply to Ricky Gervais for these people on the left. Yeah. And that's just odd to me. You know, um, Ricky Gervais standing up there and saying that the people in that audience shouldn't talk about politics because they don't actually understand how the world works as he stands there being wealthy than, I don't know, how many people in that room? Which, by the way, he's for sure wealthier than many people in that room. Yeah. But let me let me say this. And he can have his political opinions. That in itself is a political fucking statement for him to say that. You know what I mean? To say, keep your politics to yourself. The reason he's saying that is because it's like if people got up there and talked about animal rights, he would agree. He would not want them to to be quiet Mm -hmm. because he agrees with that. So it's inherently political for him to say that. Yeah. So I don't I mean, it's just it's just a bummer to watch the changes happen yeah. with some of these characters where I'm just confused, right? Why wouldn't you want these rich celebrities to get up there and use their platform to encourage people to vote, to challenge their colleagues' hip- hypocrisy when it comes to flying on private jets and contributing to climate change, Yeah, right? Why, why wouldn't you want these things to be said? Like, it's a dumb argument. For them to... Ad- Advocate for their colleagues, their millionaire, 
hundreds of millions of dollars in that room, thousands of, you know, billions of dollars in that room to advocate for that money to be given to charity, to to, to try to, to better our world. Yeah. So, well, l- l- let me also say this. Um, I'm not a fan of Ricky Gervais anymore at all because he is, well, one, he's an anti-trans fucking bigot. He is without a doubt a fucking anti-trans, just a just ah, oh, he's the worst. There were calls for him to be removed as the host of the Golden Globes because of a Twitter thread that he did that he later said were just jokes that he was that he was just kidding. I don't uh, I don't follow him anymore, so I don't uh, I'm not I'm not familiar with this. Yeah, I don't follow him either, but um and I'm not going to read the Twitter. If people are interested, they can go like read about it whatever. But what he ended up saying after the the push to have him removed as the host was he tweeted this. I don't try to offend, but the more people are offended by a joke, particularly on Twitter, the funnier I find it. And the angrier the tweet, the more chance of me using it and turning it to laughs and cash. PC culture isn't killing comedy. It's driving it, as it always did. And this is just like a douchebag, schoolyard bully response. You know, like, the more people are getting riled up, the funnier I think it is. Yeah, he might as well be Donald Trump fucking Jr. What are you saying right now? Yeah. I don't, it's not meaningful. Well, the, the problem for me is, comedy for me is holding truth to power. Holding power accountable. And you're not punching up if you're attacking trans people. You're punching down. You're 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 normalizing the oppression of a group that already has enough fucking problems in our society. They don't need you and your quote unquote jokes. I've seen his comments and they're not he's not trying to make a joke. It's not a setup and a punchline. He's just being vindictive and fucking hateful. And that's how it feels generally listening to him now. Yeah. So, and that's that's what's such a bummer about this. You and know? I laughed at some of the things he said during the the Golden Globes. There was sure. Some of it was funny. Sure, yeah. Uh, but when it comes to Ricky Gervais, you know he's better than this. You know he's more intelligent than this. And so you have to wonder which biases he's not checking, the ways in which he's not taking the time to educate himself and staying ignorant in certain areas. And it's, it's very, very disappointing because... You can tell he's intelligent. I mean, there's no arguing that. And it's just sad to see people use their platforms for this. Well, I I think he nailed it right there that it's about the cash. Mm -hmm. That's the it's an easy route. You know, water rolls downhill. And that's the that's the 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 path of least resistance for him Mm -hmm. is I'll turn it into jokes and cash. Fucking cool guy. Awesome. Yeah. Fucking bigot. And he that's what he is. So it's it's a disappointing it's a disappointing move. And like I said, it's old news. <laughs> but <laughs> it it is still making the waves because people are circulating his talking points in, in right wing Twitter territory. So they're loving it. Yeah. I mean, listen, if Ben Shapiro is all of a sudden become he's you're his champion, he's your champion, you you got a fucking problem. I mean, I I am a little hesitant to use arguments like that because even with the most reasonable person, like Ben Shapiro may agree with you in some places, and you definitely don't want to go into territory where, like, if Ben Shapiro agrees with something you say, then you must be wrong. No, no, no. You know? no oh, that's not what I mean. You're right. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, that's terrible. That's not what I mean. I mean, like, on this kind of 
um, surface level bullshit where it's just partisanship. Mm -hmm. This is not like a policy position. This is, yeah, he fucking owned those Hollywood libs. Woo! It's it. it there is no intellectualism there. That's it's not a breakdown of an argument. Mm -hmm. It's just him being mean to Hollywood, quote unquote, which means he's being mean to the libs. He is a lib. Mm -hmm. I mean, 90% of positions you would hold, he would also agree with. Mm -hmm. It's just he, he's a fucking bigot when it comes to certain issues. And that's uh, what it is. Anyway, we're going to move on. Again, 657-464-7609. Of course, email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We would like to thank each and every one of you who take time out of your days to listen to us, to share the podcast with your friends and family and people who you think would like it. We also want to thank those of you who take time out of your day to rate and review us on the podcatcher of your choice yes. using profanity-free language. Also, those of you who donate to us on PayPal, on Patreon, and who shop on Amazon at dollamore.com slash Amazon, enriching Jeff Bezos and also giving just a tiny little bit back to us. If you're going to spend your money there anyway... Why not help your favorite show filled with the news and the, uh, you know, ridiculous comments? Also, loud yelling Fox News type content. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still hung still up. Hung up still hung up on it. Still bothering All me. All right. <laughs> Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So last time on the show, we talked a little bit about how uh, Republicans right now are acting as though you can't debate our actions against Iran in public because it emboldens our enemies. In fact, I think I briefly mentioned the fact that Doug Collins had said that Democrats love terrorists. He said that on a, on a news show, and then he has since walked it back. But in the meantime, Preet Bharara, uh, the former uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, he wrote a column about it, and he went on CNN to talk about it with Anderson Cooper. President Trump and House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy both said that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was defending Soleimani. And again, this is what the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, Doug Collins, said. I did not think she could become more hypocritical than she was during impeachment. But guess what? Surprise, surprise. Nancy Pelosi does it again, and her Democrats fall right in line. One, they're in love with terrorists. We see that. They they mourn Soleimani more than they mourn our Gold Star families, who are the ones who suffered under Amazing. Soleimani. My next guest, Pre Perar, wrote today that this was a shocking new low for the Georgia congressman, quoting him, quote, You are not a talk radio host or a carnival barker. You are a pastor, an attorney, and a sitting member of Congress. Therefore, the evidence would suggest you should know better. To utter such garbage, which you know to be false and defamatory, goes against all the training and teaching you must have received, but you got your cheap shot across, and perhaps that's all that matters to you. Joining us now, CNN Senior Legal Analyst and former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Preet Um You were really 
Can upset I about what he said. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's been a lot of rhetoric, a lot of poisonous rhetoric, a lot of barbs. And I know politics is a tough game, as I said in the piece. I work for, you know, a scrappy, tough politician uh, in the Senate for four years. And, and so I get it. But something about that, about the equating of people who are of a particular ideological or political persuasion as being lovers of terrorists based on nothing, I think just crossed a different line. I, I, I don't think I've been that angry about something. I, I try to be measured here on CNN and on my Twitter account. And I kind of lost it a little bit yesterday because it's a bridge too far. It was stupid. It was self-defeating. Um, it borders on pathological. You, you don't need to say that to make a point and be persuasive. It's just debasing to himself, debasing to democracy, and debasing to his party. If somebody's in a bar drunk and yelling that, that... I mean, I that's, let it that go. is the kind of thing somebody might yell drunk in a bar somewhere. Yeah. This guy is the ranking member, a Republican member on the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, I mean, that? it's he, he's a pastor uh, who... And an attorney. And, and by the way, a pastor who has served, uh, it, I believe, one tour in Iraq. I looked him up because uh, I didn't know much about his background. And, you know, uh, in the Air Force and I believe in, in the Navy prior to that in the 80s. And I assure, assume have counseled Democrats, soldiers who were Democrats. Uh, and uh, he's saying Democrats lo love terrorists. Yeah. It is, for me, I mean, this is multifaceted what makes me mad about this. One is when he says that Democrats are in love with terrorists. It would be one thing if he said that, that's just hyperbole. But he went on to, to describe even further by saying that Democrats mourn Soleimani more than they do are fallen soldiers, dead in valiance in combat, and their gold star surviving family members. It's one thing when you say one thing, you just kind of say it and it's it's out there. But then when you 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 further expound upon it, it, it that really is what fucking sinks in for me. And the fact that he claims to be a man of the cloth. That last point there that Anderson makes is should be extra concerning for every American out there. Because I've actually sat with a chaplain and in like in a therapy session when mm -hmm. I was in the Marine Corps talking mm -hmm. about whatever the issue I was having at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, what, what solace will it, could a soldier or a Marine or a sailor or an airman have knowing that the man they're standing in front of, bearing their soul to, might uh, might think that they mourn terrorists more than uh, their dead colleagues. Mm -hmm. It is sickening. And the fact that it, it really is emblematic of where we are as a nation, that someone with such a high position in the Congress can be so flippant saying this kind of shit. It really is the era of Donald Trump. Well, he backtracked. Yeah, I, yeah. In a series of tweets, and this is what he wrote. Let me be clear. I do not believe Democrats are in love with terrorists, and I apologize for what I said earlier this week. The comment I made on Wednesday evening was in response to a question about the War Powers Resolution being introduced in the House and House Democrats' attempt to limit the president's authority. As someone who served in Iraq in 2008, I witnessed firsthand the brutal death of countless soldiers who were torn to shreds by this vicious terrorist. 
Soleimani was nothing less than an evil mastermind who viciously killed and wounded thousands of Americans. These images will live with me for the rest of my life, but that does not excuse my response on Wednesday evening. I remain committed to working with my colleagues in Congress and with my fellow citizens to keep all Americans safe. And the war, these resolutions that they're talking about have nothing to do with the killing of Soleimani. They have everything to do with whether or not the president of the United States can unilaterally, as commander in chief, declare war against a nation. He's being disingenuous. Well, according to a Media Matters reporter, they received a fundraising email at 1048 a.m. with the subject line, I will not apologize. And then he apologized on Twitter at 1130 a.m. Huh. So about an hour later. So this is truly a Donald Trump tactic. Well, and listen to this email, this this fundraising email that went out. So this, the subject line, as I said, I will not apologize. Patriot. Last week, President Trump took decisive action to defend our country when he took out Iran General Soleimani. It was a brave and effective action that will save countless American lives. Yet how did the Democrats react? The liberal Washington Post called Soleimani revered. The Democrats running for president called it reckless and dangerous. And Nancy Pelosi? She worked to pass a resolution in Congress to universally condemn the strike. I'm sick of it. Our president acted to secure our nation, and we should not be ashamed or apologize for putting America first. God, he's the fucking worst. And then he asked for 10,000 patriots to stand up in defense mm. of President Trump. ASAP. Y'all, before midnight tonight. Y'all patriots need to stand right up, y'all. By giving me a buck. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! I'm Doug Collins, y'all. Anti-terrorist. One of the few anti-terrorist congressmen. Everybody else loves him. I just, why can't people think before they talk, right? He says that Democrats are in love with terrorists. And then the next day he has to come out and say, I did not mean to say that Democrats were in love with terrorists. No, he says, let me be clear. I don't believe that. I just said something forcefully and emotionally that I do not believe. Mm -hmm. What other things is he forcefully saying that he doesn't believe. Right. Anyway, I wanted to talk about that, having briefly brought it up last episode. Let's uh, let's move on here and talk a little bit about, um, in, in kind of a follow-up fashion, we talked about uh, Pelosi holding back the, the, the articles of impeachment from the Senate. We talked about that tug-of-war with McConnell. He thinks he has the votes to change the rules and all that. Uh, but Pelosi has indeed agreed that she is going to be sending the articles of impeachment uh, very soon to the Senate. And our breaking news now, Nancy Pelosi's plans for the articles of impeachment. NBC's Garrett Haig joins us from Capitol Hill. Garrett, you've been tracking the speaker around the Hill all morning, and she has now made it clear Tuesday's the day. That's right, Andrea. The speaker has said for a while she'll transmit the articles when she is ready, when she feels the time is right. And we now know that that time will come next week in a letter to colleagues sent notably after the House was done with its business for the week, after members had left the floor and many of them starting to leave D.C. for the weekend. The speaker said that she will call for the Judiciary Committee to appoint managers and have this vote on the floor that both appoints managers and sets up the transmission of the articles next week. Now, she says she will consult 
with the caucus on Tuesday morning when they're all back. The rules around voting on the impeachment managers is already laid out. It's a very short debate and a pretty much a straight up or down vote. So that could happen as early as Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Now, also in this letter, Pelosi lays out what she says are some of the things that they were accomplished by holding the articles. She points out a lot of the reporting that was done over the holiday break, including that New York Times uh, report that we've cited several times. She points out Freedom of Information Act requests related to the Ukraine scandal that have come out. And she points out just earlier this week the decision by John Bolton to say he would cooperate with a Senate trial, all of which she tries to say are evidence of the utility of having held the articles for so long. I can also tell you, talking to reporters just now, she uh, was fairly aggressive in pushing back against uh, what she sees as a false narrative that she was somehow under increasing pressure to do this. Although earlier in the week, we did see a lot of Senate Democrats saying the time is now. Now we learn from Pelosi the time will be next week. That sets wheels in motion in the Senate to get ready for the start of a trial. It's tough to see how the trial could start uh, next week, just based on the logistics and what the Senate and all the lawyers involved would need to get ready. But we are now at least moving forward in a process that will, in fact, lead to an impeachment trial of President Trump here in January of 2020. And this 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 absolutely was a political move. And she was backed into a corner um, by Mitch McConnell, who's like, oh, we'll just change the fucking rules of the Senate. Now, the reason I believe that is because there have been so many different excuses given by Democrats as to why we were holding the articles of impeachment from the Senate. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, but it's just, you know, she she got as much mileage out of holding it as, as she could. Some of the utility in this is absolutely the fact that now reporting has come out. And they, we've got uh, emails and Bolton has agreed to testify if if subpoenaed. The problem is here where we are now after, you know, this is going to be transferred. Now we can look forward to some kind of a trial is the fact that we don't uh, we don't even know if there's going to be witnesses. There have been 15 or 16 impeachment trials held in the Senate over the course of this country's history. Not one of them has been sans witness. Every single impeachment trial in the Senate has involved witnesses. But, you know, with Mitch McConnell, and as with everything with Donald Trump as president, we're looking at possibly breaking the mold. Well, it's it's a it's a, a new day in America with Donald Trump as president. Anyway, um as always, I, I'm frustrated, but as always, we would love your 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 feedback on this, six five seven. 464-7609. Email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Do you think that the because obviously there's no way to delay it indefinite like forever? Well that, but also delay it until like November, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we're there's not gonna be a long term delay here. You mean like enough to impact the election? Right. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that would be an untenable delay. Yeah. And so I think when people are criticizing Nancy Pelosi for the delay on the right, uh, that they're hinting at something like that. But I that's not that's not the motive here. I don't I don't think. Yeah, listen, I think there is some validity to some of the right wing arguments that if this is such an emergency, then why delay it? 
the, the, the problem with that particular criticism is the fact that we're dealing in completely different political times than we have ever existed in the country. That we have a Senate and a, a political party being the Republicans that will do anything, say anything, act in any manner whatsoever inappropriately, oftentimes, to defend Donald Trump. They're abdicating their role as a co-equal branch of government in order to defend a president who is lawless, who is corrupt, who is criminal. So I, I give, now that we're here, I've criticized Nancy Pelosi for months and months and months um, in her resistance to impeachment. But now that we're here, I'm going to give her a little bit of latitude. Anyway, again, we'd love to know what you think. Moving on to some election news. We have been talking about for months. Tom Steyer and uh, Michael Bloomberg. Mm. pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars into feeding and clothing and sheltering needy families. Wrong. Oh. Actually into buying this election for themselves and circumventing the normal democratic process by which we have primaries and caucuses in the in the individual states leading up to the general election. Oh, that's surprising. Leading up to the Democratic convention. Oh. There is a little bit of good news here though. And I think it leads to an interesting question relative to some of the more left candidates like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who have vowed to not allow billionaires to impact elections. And that is that Michael Bloomberg has now said, he has now uh, vowed, let's say, that he has decided to fund the campaign against Donald Trump, even if he is not the nominee. We are just weeks oh, weeks into 2020, and spending from Democratic presidential candidates is at an all-time high. But two in particular, Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, are outspending the field and flooding the airwaves nationally with a combined total of nearly $210 million. Look at that graph right there. And it looks like that spending will continue through November. This morning, a new NBC News exclusive report reveals that Mayor Michael Bloomberg will pay campaign staffers in six battleground states through November. And that is even if he loses the Democratic nomination. NBC's Josh Letterman broke this story with me and joins us now. Josh, let's walk through this. Mayor Bloomberg said from the onset his number one goal was to get Donald Trump out of office. He also said he thinks every Democrat running would make a better president than Donald Trump. But now he's suddenly saying if the Democratic primary voters decide that he, Mayor Bloomberg, isn't the right pick, he will take his machine, his massive digital arm, this, the 500 people working across six battleground states, and hand it over to whoever the nominee is? How much does that change the race? That could really be a game changer, Stephanie, because the Democratic candidates are so focused right now on this primary, which is hard fought, does not look like it's going to be resolved anytime in the next few weeks or even potentially months, that they really have an advantage that Donald Trump has in being able to build out a general election campaign. But Bloomberg is signaling that his 
national coast-to-coast apparatus is going to be basically a shadow campaign in waiting for whoever the Democratic nominee is, be it him or be it one of these other candidates. Nobody has 500 field staff across the country like Mike Bloomberg does. Uh, nobody has a digital operation like this tech startup Hawkfish that Bloomberg has started and that's been carrying out his $100 million online ad campaign. Now we know that whole apparatus will be there to support the Democratic nominee uh, and also to work to defeat Donald Trump uh, in November. Isn't the big question going to be then, what happens if it's Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? Mayor Bloomberg is saying, I'm here for you. Are they going to say, thank you very much, I'll take your support? Yeah, that's the big question. It's going to be so interesting to see how those more progressive candidates who have been attacking not only Bloomberg, but also Tom Steyer is essentially trying to buy the election. Will their tune change once they realize that this whole apparatus that really can only be built because Mike Bloomberg is self-funding his campaign with millions and millions of dollars, that whole apparatus could be turned in their favor if they're willing to accept that kind of help. Now, we should point out these staffers, they won't be working directly directly for the nominee if the nominee isn't Mike Bloomberg because of uh, FEC election contribution limits. But they will be working for some type of an independent funding vehicle from Mike Bloomberg, able to do the same kinds of activities to support the nominee, hold events, ads, do get out the vote operations, as well as to launch a whole campaign purely to attack the president. Now, I don't necessarily appreciate the tone of the fast talking reporter there. Uh, is their tune is their tune going to change? <laughs> but I think there's a valid question here, and I, I would I haven't made up my mind. I haven't decided yet how I feel about it. I would I would really love some audience participation here, some feedback. But there is a way to structure this particular assistance from either a Michael Bloomberg and a Tom Steyer, or singularly just a Michael Bloomberg, that could run through the party. He doesn't have to necessarily coordinate with the campaigns to be a a, a wonderful asset in uh, combating a Donald Trump re-election. But I don't know. I don't know. It is looking right now that... Um, Bernie is gaining steam, as is actually Elizabeth Warren in Iowa right now. The, there's a poll that just came out that has Bernie leading the pack, um, her in second, and I think Buttigieg, and then Biden in Iowa. Now keep in mind, sorry, Brittany, keep in mind that the 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 national polls, they matter in the beginning because that's all the really all, the only metric we have. But as we go... And as candidates win primaries and caucus states leading, moving forward into the future, there will be momentum um, benefit to each win and each second place. And then those others are going to end up just kind of falling to the way. Like, for instance, Klobuchar is likely, after not winning the first or second primary, is going to have to drop out because they're just not gaining anything. Well, Tom Steyer just made the cut and is going to be in the January debate. Yeah. So that the cutoff there is Janu January 10th. So he made it and 
I don't think anyone else is going to make it. Well, let me say this about uh, look. I, I don't. I don't have anything against Tom Steyer, other than the fact that I really do believe he's he's buying his way in here. But at least he's trying to get on the debate stage. Bloomberg's not even doing that. He's pretty much just hanging his hat on Super Tuesday and ignoring all the early primary and caucus states. Yeah, so to make the January debate, candidates had to register at least 5% in four polls approved by the party between November 14th and January 10th, or at least 7% in two early state polls, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada. And then they also needed to earn donations from at least 225,000 unique donors nationally and a minimum of 1,000 unique donors in at least 20 states. Mm -hmm. And... Tom Steyer just made it thanks to two January 9th Fox News polls from Nevada and South Carolina. Yeah. So it's going to be Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Sanders, Warren, and Steyer. Yeah. Yang was on there last time. He did not make the cut this time. He's not making the polling standard. Good. Not necessarily that he's out out and Steyer is in, but good that we are starting to to pare down the field of candidates where we really can start to have more substantive debates and also hopefully not three-hour fucking debates. Two hours is it. That's that's as much as is needed when you get when you get down to this many people. So the debate is going to be January 14th, and it's going to be co-hosted by CNN and the Des Moines Register. Nice. Will be held, will be held <laughs> in Iowa. It will, will it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on and let's talk a little bit about um, this is a campaign issue because there are still groups out there who do hold some sway with conservatives that are running anti-Donald Trump ads. Now, this is a group, the I think the Lincoln Group, I think is their name, and they are affiliated with Conway, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, and they just put this ad out on YouTube that is fucking fantastic. I don't know if it has any any actual airtime, any network airtime, but it is called the MAGA Church, and it, it, it addresses specifically the evangelical cult-like nature surrounding their support for Donald Trump. Evangelicals, Christians of every denomination and believers of every faith have never had a greater champion, not even close, in the White House than you have right now. I think you know that. Yes. Yes. Prayer? Let's pray together, may we? Yes. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness? Why why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness? Wisdom have entered into the heart of our president. You ask a lot of stupid questions. I have never seen a more biblical president than I have seen in Donald Trump. So right now, let every demonic network... You are the enemy of the people. Let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. Here is the Republican platform. And if you don't support me, you're going to be so goddamn poor. If President Trump is not re-elected... Here is the word of God. There is going to be a backlash against people of faith like we cannot imagine. Where do you stand? I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? I watch a man that comes out and fights for righteousness. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. The Pope would have only wished and prayed. Thank you, sir, for uniting our nation and calling us to prayer. That Donald Trump would have been president. I think the Pope 
needs to seek Donald Trump's forgiveness. He's a pussy. I think God put him there. Get that son of a bitch off the field. Let the angel of the Lord encamp around about him. God raised up, I believe, Donald Trump. To say no to President Trump would be saying no to God. I don't bring God into that picture. I don't. Romans 13 does give President Trump moral authority to use whatever force necessary. I'm going to bomb the shit out of him. You need to send in 35,000. Including assassination. This book right here will tell you how to vote. I'm confident that the Lord is at work here. Grab him by the pussy. He's, he's had a change of heart. Ridiculous bullshit. If you do not write that P.O. box and you do not call that toll free number, you're going to write your checks to Paula White Ministry. You will never see sustainment in your life and your dream will die. Trump is a test. Whether you're even saved. And can act differently for different people. Somehow God put him in this position. And everybody said, Amen. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. This is a hoax. This is a terrible hoax. Perpetrated on our country. They are quick on that one yeah. because that Jim Baker quote where he said that you need to be saved, that's new. Yeah, brand that's new. That's this year, 2020, yeah. that that clip. So that's they jumped like right on that. Yeah, 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 they jumped right on that. I, like You know what? This really, I mean, it, it really highlights. A well, very, we were dancing the whole time. Uh, yeah, a very bizarre thing. But the other thing it does is I love gospel music, man. It, it, that's the one part of being a part of a congregation uh, shoulder to shoulder with the faithful loving God. I miss that. I grew <laughs> up in kind of a Pentecostal assemblies of God, you know, nutters speaking in tongues. That's the church I come from. And that's the, that's the good shit right there. <laughs> it's a good act. So Jim Baker really said that supporting Trump is a test of whether you are even saved. Yeah. And he went so far as to say like, you can't love Trump unless you're saved. Like only people who love Trump are saved. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's the, this is what people are hearing yeah, when they tune in to these people. The, the Bible gives the, the qualifications, the things that must be done to be saved. You, you must um, confess with your, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You must be baptized to be, there are certain requirements being a fucking Trump voter isn't one of them. It is, listen, not a believer anymore, but this is blasphemous against the word of God, against the, the, the New Testament gospels. Why are you smiling? But you're taking us to church right now. No, it, this is, it is fucking blasphemous to be adding extra criteria to be saved. Well, it's manipulative and it's, it's disappointing because they are manipulating people do you think this ad will have any effect whatsoever of moving the needle absolutely not yeah yeah it's but i mean bad. it's nice i danced to it it was fun that's a, it's a good it, listen it was really good it makes me think that maybe the magic instrument is the fucking tambourine <laughs> <laughs> the triangle was that also in there no, the tambourine. Shake, 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 shake. There's a little triangle. That's always in church services. Someone playing the triangle. Very necessary. Who in the fuck has a triangle player in their church? I remember that. Not all the time. You it was it was a special treat, a special occasion. You type were a thing. part of a cult. You weren't a part of the true church of God. 
Sure. Nobody was saved in that church. Sometimes there was a dude who would play the bongos. That's the instrument of the devil. And I'd always look at him and think, <laughs> what is the point of that? Because <laughs> there was a drummer on the stage, and really that guy just looked like he was, he was like looking around while he's doing it and like hardly hitting the bongos at all yeah. I, and then like sometimes he would just kind of stop and i mean i know nothing about the bongos but it didn't look right no clearly you are an expert on the bongos all <laughs> right good times taking care of biz So Anderson Cooper is taking care of biz. He's usually taking care of biz. He does a good goddamn job. He's a lovely human being, but he's going to be talking about Stephanie Grisham. Stephanie Grisham took the place of Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She is now the current White House press secretary. And can I talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders for a second? Oh, please. She was on Fox and Friends because, you know, she's a Fox commentator now. That's oh, that's her job. That's she, right. She moved from the White House press briefing on to the Fox and Friends. Douche chill. So she uh, likes to talk to Peter Ducey. No, Steve Ducey. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> and Ainsley. I'm not sorry, Peter. Ainsley Earhart and Brian Kilmeade. And she was on there talking about Iran. And she said something to the effect of, like, we don't want to give Congress the power to have, like, decision making in this regard. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. I mean, why would you let a, a body of legislators, many of whom have actually served in the military, why would you let them make any decisions uh, according to the, the guidelines of the Constitution of the United States? Just leave it to the, the five-time draft-dodging coward. Donald Trump. So I just wanted to to note that that's if you're wondering what does it take to become a White House press secretary? Nobody knows. <laughs> because Not anymore we don't know. Yeah, because she literally said I can't think of anything dumber than allowing Congress to take over our foreign policy. I can think of things dumber. Hiring any one of these two ding-dongs to be White House press secretary. Right. So Stephanie Grisham took her place, and she's really doing uh, a fantastic job of behaving just like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Don't call it a comeback, but for the second night this week, Stephanie Grisham is back on The Ridiculous. You didn't think I meant back in the White House briefing room doing her job, did you? No! <laughs> Grisham doesn't play that game. She actually can't go back because she's never been in that room doing a press briefing. She might have walked through it or, I don't know, gaggled or something, but never an actual formal press briefing. There hasn't been one of those in 304 days. Pfft, old news. Democracy. Pfft, tweets are better. Rage <laughs> tweets. Tweets. Grisham is making more than $150,000 a year. She doesn't have time to step in that small, dank little room with all that free press sitting around. There's no telling what they might ask. No, Grisham is back on The Ridiculous this week because even though... Possible war with Iran is on hold. She is still popping up on Fox News, firing on all cylinders. By which I mean, she continues to say things which appear meant to defend the president, but actually point out the president's own failings. I'm actually starting to think that Grisham may be just pretending to be unintentionally ironic and deeply hypocritical, while in fact, she's trying to secretly and subtly subvert the president. Example, just a few days ago, she was on Fox and was asked if she could specify the threats posed by Qasem Soleimani, threats that U.S. officials have used to justify the time of the attack. Without a shred of irony, this is what she said. 
No, that's that's something. It was an intel-based decision, and it saved American lives. And I think that that's what's most important. I know a lot of people are now questioning the intel. That's really unfortunate. See, she seems to be defending the president's decision, but then she ends it with attacking anyone who would question U.S. intelligence, saying that's really unfortunate that someone would question U.S. intelligence. Now, here's the genius of that. Who's the biggest questioner of U.S. intelligence? Her boss. I've dealt with some people that aren't very intelligent, uh, having to do with intel. I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. You disagree with that I have intel that. people. That doesn't mean I have to agree. As I think you've all learned, the intelligence agencies have run amok. When we waste our time with intelligence, that hurts our country because we had poor leadership at the top, that's not good. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others, they said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. And that's unfortunate. The president even questioned intelligence on Iran in the past. Here's the tweet, the intelligence people seem to be extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. They're wrong and, quote, perhaps intelligence should go back to school. Just side note, the man who once paid a $25 million settlement for running a fraudulent university told intelligence professionals to go back to school. That is actually unintentionally ironic. Back to Grisham, though. It seems we aren't the only ones concerned over the lack of White House press briefings. Two mega best-selling authors have now made her a proposal. Take a look at this tweet from crime novelist Don Winslow. Quote, to Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham, I'm upping my offer to $100,000. Stephen King has agreed to put in $75,000. We will donate $175,000 to St. Jude in your name and help a lot of kids if you will take questions from the White House press corps for one hour in the White House briefing room. Senior Jake Tapper asked, asked Ms. Grisham about that offer, to which she replied, and listen to this, if you have $200,000 to play with, why not just help children because it's a good thing to do? Donations to charity should never come with strings attached. And there it is again. She just did it again. It's brilliant. Donations to charity should never come with strings attached. I guess who views charity in exactly a strings attached kind of way? The president. Here's his strings attached offer to President Obama. I have a deal for the president, a deal that I don't believe he can refuse, and I hope he doesn't. If Barack Obama opens up and gives his college records and applications, and if he gives his passport applications and records, I will give to a charity of his choice, inner city children in Chicago, American Cancer Society, AIDS research, anything he wants, a check immediately for $5 million. Yes, the champion of the more than likely racist and completely debunked conspiracy theory about President Obama was willing to donate $5 million to inner city kids in Chicago, the city he hates, if President Obama would play along with the more than likely racist, and I think we can just say racist, and completely debunked conspiracy theory. Frankly, it's a check that I very much want to write. I absolutely would be the most happy of all if I did, in fact, make this contribution through the president to these charities. One caveat, the records must be given by October 31st at mm. five o'clock in the afternoon. 
That is called strings attached. So Stephanie Grisham, it has been a big week for you. And I see your long game. I see what you're doing. That's why you were so quick to echo the president when he called those never Trumpers human scum. You are like a deep cover asset for the resistance inside the White House. But don't worry. Your secret is safe with us. President Trump never watches CNN. So keep sending those messages on Fox. He'll never notice how much you're pointing out his own hypocrisy on the ridiculous. So I know that these segments are a little controversial because people think that Anderson Cooper should be a news guy and not venture into the kind of funny ha-ha stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I think it works. I think it fits. Yeah, I, I don't think he... I think there's a clear line when he's making some jokes and and, and really pointing out very real problems Yeah, uh, with this. And then also like the, the, the straight news guy where he's really just reporting and interviewing. Yeah. I think he does a good job. Absolutely. And there's a point to all of it. And the point is pointing out what a ridiculous situation yeah. we are in right now. I, listen, we were going to play one. The, the, he said this is the second in a week. We were going to play the one last episode and we just we ran out of space. But it is, I love when they, listen, they have what's called Lex, LexisNexis. So they have access to pull video clips. They can search by terms and then find the video clips. It's very expensive to have a subscription to that, to, to have access to that. So we don't have access to it. So it is awesome when they can pull the video and show very easily the hypocrisy of Donald Trump and his fucking minions. So good on them. Taking care of biz. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to leave you there. We love you guys. We appreciate you. I would ask that if you have been on the fence about supporting the show on Patreon, um, that uh, now's the time. Well, we would also say this. If you get something out of this show, if we make you laugh, if we make your mood a little bit lighter, if you feel informed when you're done listening to the show. If the show is a value add. Right. Then we would ask that you support us by going to Patreon and giving even as little as $2 a month, right? Makes a really big difference and really helps us feel supported and keeps the lights on around here. So... We would really ask that you you join with us, join the community of listeners, and take part in moving the conversation forward. All right, everybody. Well, listen, we would love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. And until then, for Britain Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. They're in love with terrorists. They they mourn Soleimani more than they mourn our gold star families.